0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, as part of my series of interviews with the candidates for U.S. soccer president, I'm joined by Michael Winograd, a New York attorney with a long background in soccer. We talk about his biggest challenge, finding a path to victory, and he shares some promising proposals, including building training centers in each state and a novel idea to introduce promotion and relegation. One of the interim steps that I've talked about, maybe not today, maybe not
1: for a tomorrow thing, but at least in the closer range, are guest promotion spots. So, for example, tell MLS, your teams have bought into MLS. You know, you're not open to relegation. You stay in the league regardless. We will create two promotion spots. Lower division teams can come up. If at the end of the season, one of those teams is within the bottom four, pick a number, that team drops down and Mm -hmm. the spot opens up for a new team to come up. Mm -hmm. If it's not within the top four, that guest spot doesn't open up
0: and you wait till the next year. All that and more coming up. (laughs) Joining me now is Michael Winograd, one of the eight candidates for U.S. soccer president. He is currently an attorney at Ropes & Gray, one of New York City's biggest corporate law firms, and he has a long background in soccer. He played college at Lafayette, and after that in Israel. He was director of youth and team development for the Staten Island Vipers and an assistant coach at the University of Richmond. Both of his kids are in the U.S. Soccer Development Academy. Mike Winograd, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Grant. Good to be here.
0: Great to have you here in the studio at Sports Illustrated in New York. I want to start by asking you a question I've basically asked every candidate at one of these interviews, which is why do you think you're qualified to be the president? Of U.S. Soccer?
1: You know, Grant, I, I want to be president of U.S. Soccer to make U.S. Soccer better. And I think I'm the best candidate for the job for a few reasons. Number one, independence. Number two, a deep soccer background and experience and knowledge. And number three, deep knowledge and experience on the business side. So let me just elaborate on each of those. I have no hidden agendas, I have no sponsors, I have no special ties to any of the constituents. I have one interest, and that is the interest of U.S. soccer as a whole. And invariably and unquestionably, I will put that interest first. Number two, on the soccer side, as you sort of said in the introduction, I've, I've been in soccer my entire life. I've played at the youth, collegiate, professional levels, I've coached at the youth and collegiate levels, and I have managed at the youth and professional levels. So I have a very deep uh, soccer background. For the last 17 years, after the Staten Island Vipers, which, by the way, was not just a management role, I started that team up from scratch with one other person, co-started up the team, the Staten Island Vipers, and I handled everything on the soccer side. Uh, When my colleague left midstream to go to the San Jose Earthquakes, where he later became general manager the year that they won the MLS Cup, uh, I... Uh, I took over the rest of the team and shepherded it through until I went to law school, Mm -hmm. and the team was poised uh, to make it to the quarterfinals, I think, of the playoffs in its first inaugural season. After that, for the last 17 years, I went to an Ivy League law school, University of Pennsylvania, graduated with several honors, and have ever since, since 2000, been at the most prominent law firms in the world, uh, representing the largest banks and clients, from Microsoft to Samsung to FedEx Supply. To uh, you know, some of the largest uh, private equity firms, Bain Capital, TPG, in the world. In fact, last week I was in London. I had a chance to catch the Arsenal Chelsea game, which was spectacular. Uh, even though it ended in a zero zero tie, it was a great game and a great atmosphere. And I was there with my client, who's the CEO of LGIM uh, Properties, who actually funded the development of Saint George's Park, the, hmm. the uh, FA training facility uh-huh. in England. Um, so for the last 17 years, I have been working with the biggest companies and banks on their biggest cases, uh-huh. the cases that attract the attention of the CEOs and the boards of directors. I've been in the boardrooms with the boards and the CEOs, advising them, counseling, counseling them, coming up with strategies, negotiating settlements. And a lot of what I do, and I say this to clients all the time, if the, if, if the parties on both sides of the table are rational, we should be able to settle this. Because a lot of what we do involves avoiding tooth and nail battles, which don't typically sit well with big companies with high profiles. And at the same time, a lot of those disputes that they have are with partners that they need to continue to work with in their space and contractually. Sometimes they have arrangements that go forward. So the business side, the negotiation, the 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 mending fences, the Figuring out ways uh, to articulate persuasively a path forward that everybody will buy into is is what I've been doing for the last 17 years at the highest levels.
0: So if you have a big idea in your campaign for U.S. soccer president, what is it? You know, uh, my my platform has three
1: main points. Mm-hmm. If I had to boil it down to one, it would be the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. It would be the form of governance making this into an inclusive merit-based transparent form of government no matter how smart one person is you know so let me tell you, let me say this companies can run differently you can have very successfully, successful companies that run egalitarian and some that are that are you know run by a dictator and they can run quite well in both respects for us soccer i don't think that issuing edicts from an ivory tower in Chicago is the right way to run US soccer. This is a this is an organization with a, a, a varied constituency with years and years, folks who have dedicated years and decades of their lives, who have so much knowledge, no matter how bright one person is, he or she can't possibly know everything they know. You need to involve folks who have their boots on the ground, bring them into the decision-making process. And that, and the reason I pick that one, is because that one affects all of the other key things that I've spoken about in this campaign, mm-hmm. from you know, decision-making in terms of youth structure, in terms of, of policies in youth soccer, in terms of selection of coaches at the national team level and venues at the national team level, to equality in women's, you know, with the women's, in achieving equality in the women's programs, to even, you know, how to implement, you know, uh, programs that will reduce the cost barriers, both in pay-to-play and coaching education, that governance style. And the decision-making process is central to all of that. And and when we change it, it will bring all of those sort of formerly disenfranchised folks into the fold. And we will, you know, bring their input into the decision-making process. And it's going to benefit virtually every aspect of the, of
0: the game. U.S. soccer currently has a surplus of $140 million, give or take. That's a good thing. It's better yep. than <clears> – <throat> running a deficit like they did right. over 15 years ago. How do you think it should be spent?
1: And by the way, the, 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 the surplus of about $150 million is going to grow because I think they just came out, U.S. Soccer just came out in an email that was sent, I think, to all the candidates. Um, they announced that they, they will have about a $25 million surplus from this year alone. Oh, wow. So uh, the way I would spend it is twofold. You know, number one, you need some money in the bank. Uh, in case you know for a rainy day, and there are lots of other programs to consider in a small way. But the two main ways that I would that I would spend it, one helping reduce a little bit pay to play. Now I've talked about five ways to reduce pay to play, mm-hmm. and that's one piece of it. Uh, there'll be some money going to that, but in large part, what I want to do, and this this ties into player development, is is build a state soccer center in every state. Okay, larger states more than one, similar to the number of associations. And that's going to cost some money, and our surplus could cover it right now, hmm. and and then some. I'm talking about building a a, a center with fields, and and a full time state soccer director who will be paid very competitively. We need to get somebody who is, you know, coming out of school or been in the game for a while and saying, "Hey, I have an opportunity to coach, you know, college hmm. at a great NCAA." school, I may have an opportunity to coach MLS, but we're going to make the salary competitive enough that it's a viable alternative for the top quality folks to come in as a neutral and skilled, experienced state soccer director. And that person, again, is going to be housed in a state soccer center with fields, and that is going to be part of a very clearly defined path, it will be the centerpiece of the clearly defined path to our national teams. Mm-hmm. But one of the problems when you talk about player development... And now we're just sort of talking at the elite level. Is there's no there's no clarity. Nobody knows what the path is. Mm-hmm. Um, just as there's just as sort of youth soccer has become a conglomerate of overlapping and competing businesses and leagues that are competing with each other, the path to the national team is as well. There's there are a lot of organizations saying we're the ones, we're the all stars. Come follow this path. There will be one path that everybody knows about. Now that path will involve objective identification and more thorough identification of players. It will not be limited to just cherry-picking from academies or MLS academies or anything else. It will be broad-based objective, finding the best players in each state, bringing them to that state soccer center on on days that will be prearranged, blackout dates throughout the year, and training them efficiently and effectively as part of that path to our national team. But the surplus will go... Uh, We'll cover that, and and I think fundamentally the the best piece of that surplus will be spent on the state soccer centers and
0: directors. Interesting. In terms of the process under which national team coaches are hired, that's something that the president has been involved in for a long time. Uh, What is the process under which you think national team coaches should be hired by?
1: And again, this goes back to what I started with. It needs to be an inclusive process. You, we, you know, we can talk about the merits of the past decisions, about why um, Bob Bradley was let go, about why Jurgen Klinsmann was hired, and then why his contract was extended. And you can argue the merits of both sides, potentially, but what I'm most concerned about is who made that decision and how was that decision made? What were the criteria? I suspect that if you ask some of the coaches themselves who are involved in this, why were you hired, why were you fired – I suspect that they wouldn't know what the criteria were for those decisions. And that's a problem. So it will be a transparent process. Transparency brings with it a, a confidence and integrity so that people know things are being done properly. And it will be inclusive. There will be a committee that is that has an influential role made up of past national team coaches, past and current national team players, Potentially businessmen, because the selection obviously has some impact on on the business side of things as well. But we're going to get together a a group of folks who are experts in this and varied, and come to a consensus, and and figure out what the best, uh, you know, the best decision for U.S. soccer is.
0: Currently, the U.S. men's senior coach position uh, is there's an acting coach right now, Dave Sarakin, but it's open uh, for a, a full time hire. Uh, presumably that decision will be made after the the president is elected of the federation. Who are just some candidates that you think would be interesting to consider for that position?
1: Yeah, and so again, this would be, you know, I'm happy to share my own personal views, but this is, again, you know, it's a broader discussion with people who who are are closer and and know this. I mean, obviously, Tab Ramos comes to mind. Peter Vermes comes to mind. I mean, those are folks who I think have shown the qualities that at least I would personally look for and advocate for in a in, in, a, in a national team coach because a national team coach uh, is is different than what you what you need to succeed as a national team coach is different than what you need to succeed as a an everyday manager of a professional team. you're not with the team very often. Mm. You need to make sure that you get the selection of players right. you need to be able to inspire those players. And, and manage them as a team in the short times that you're with them and put the players that you have in the right places. You don't get the ability to really mold them over a long period of time working with them day in and day out. So there's a different skill set involved. But, you know, look, Tab and Peter they're, they're, have, have are, you know come to mind quickly, and, and I'm quite certain there are, there are plenty others who would, would be in that discussion.
0: One thing that has struck me, we we got two women candidates in this eight-person race very late in the game not long before the deadline Mm -hmm. but still when you look at the leadership positions in u.s soccer whether it's the board whether it's state associations basically all across the board there's not many women right and (laughs) what would you do as president to increase the the number of women in leadership roles in u.s soccer
1: you know, this is a, a – let me step outside of soccer for a moment. My law firm, Ropes & Gray, just announced very recently in the last few weeks that our next chairman of the firm will be a uh, woman partner. Okay. And we have been at the forefront of, of issues of equality and, and basing things on merit and nothing else. Uh, the women's game – let me answer that in a couple of ways specifically with respect to soccer. I find it stunning that we are in 2018. When we started this, it was 2017. And we're still talking about issues of equality in women's soccer. There is absolutely no excuse for it. it, is, it is, it's, it's inexcusable, it's unconscionable. And so let me be clear about this. When I'm president, if the men are not playing on substandard fields, the women will not be playing on them either. If the men are traveling first class to games, The women will be traveling first class as well. And by the way, I don't think anybody should be playing on substandard fields. If the men have certain technology in their camps, the women will have the same technology. With respect to pay, if the men and women teams decide that they want the same pay structure, there will be equality dollar for dollar. If they decide they want different pay structures, we'll accommodate that. And there will be equivalence in terms of pay. One of the ways to grow the women's game, and this is getting to your point about women in positions of power within soccer. One of the things that I've talked about is is the NWSL has done a spectacular job getting to where it is right now. And I truly believe that league is at the point where it's transitioning from stability and survival into growth. Mm-hmm. We need to continue to build the stability and, and profitability of that league. And one of the ways to do it is to ensure that women know if they play in the NWSL, there are positions for them after their playing career is done. And, and to recruit, part of that recruitment process is showing them that there are women in key significant roles. And so how do we do that? At U.S. soccer, it's easy enough. There will be, you know, there, there, is, there is no question that there are significant numbers of women interested in managing within US soccer who are absolutely more than qualified but deserving based on the merits. If they are deserving based on the merits, they will get those jobs and there will be no doubt more women involved in my administration. That is one way. I will, you know, with respect to other leagues and other uh, factions and, and constituencies within US soccer, as I will say, as I said, and I'll say again repeatedly, U.S. soccer should not be in the business of ramming things down people's throats. But I certainly will make U.S. soccer's interests uh, known to folks and and make sure that they are being given due consideration in the decision-making process of others. But in our administration, there will be more women because there deserve to be more women.
0: One topic that's always a hot-button topic with fans especially is promotion and relegation, uh, which doesn't currently exist in U.S. soccer. Uh, at least at uh, the higher levels. Uh, what's your stance on it? Is it something that's a realistic thing to to bring to U.S. soccer, or is that something that is just a non-starter for you given uh, the development of, of the sport and where we are right now? There are a few things that would be as exciting
1: for our pro leagues as having promotion and relegation. It's not a practical reality right now when you've got franchises that are being sold for 150 or $200 million, I think the first thing we need to work on to bring it closer to, to, a rea- to reality is focusing on the profitability and stability of the lower divisions, closing the gap between the lower divisions and MLS so that promotion relegation becomes more of a potential... Um, a practical reality. One of the things that I've offered, and, and, and like a lot of these things, like a lot of the initiatives that I and even others have talked about, getting them actually done requires a skill. It requires understanding the interests, in this case, the interests of business folks who have paid a lot of money to become part of MLS and are bound by certain contracts. MLS is bound to them and vice versa with respect to a lot of contracts. Understanding everybody's interests and being able to articulate to them why it may actually be in their best interest to consider promotion and relegation. And again, that's something that I do on a daily basis with CEOs and big companies. One of the interim steps that I've talked about, maybe not today, maybe not for a tomorrow thing, but at least in the closer range, are guest promotion spots. Mm -hmm. So, for example, tell MLS your teams have bought into MLS. You do not, you know, you're not. Uh, open to relegation. You stay in the league regardless. We will create two promotion spots. Lower division teams can come up. If at the end of the season, one of those teams is within the bottom four, pick a number, that team drops down and Mm -hmm. the spot opens up for a new team to come up. Hmm. If it's not within the top four, that guest spot doesn't open up and you wait till the next year. That at least is an interim measure that attempts to alleviate some of the concerns you might imagine that the MLS owners would feel and give the excitement and, and, and almost as a test run sort of give the, you know, allow for the excitement of promotion relegation, allow the parties to socialize to the idea and then eventually continue with the dialogue again uh, with, with, with the hope that we could eventually get to promotion relegation
0: because it would be, you know, a, a very exciting thing for the pro leagues. For people who have paid attention to this campaign and seen some of the candidate forums, they often say, including me, that you come off well at these forums. But they also, in some cases, don't see a way that you can do enough to win the election. How is this election winnable for you? You know, it's it's it's
1: winnable for the very reason I think you just said, which is I have appealed in my conversations and I have, I have really resonated and had great conversations with folks on all sides of every aisle. I've sat down with Don Garber at MLS and had a very constructive conversation that ended quite well. I've sat down with Sunil Galati. I've sat down with LIFE members, I've sat down with the state associations and the, uh, both on the youth and adult side, and I've sat down with the US Women's National Team and the players. I, you know, I just had a conversation with one of the players on the Athletes Council a couple of days ago. I have, I have appealed to all of those folks. And I think at the end of the day, if you talk about a path to victory, if, there are some folks who came into this with greater name recognition. And, and, and you know, look, if, 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 you know, this election is going to go to the well, most well-known person starting off, you know or or the best soccer player that's not going to be me I mean, maybe we'll let you know eric and uh, and hope fight that one out but i have all of the skill sets and i think people realize at a higher level than most i have the whole package i have the deep understanding of soccer at all levels i have the business experience at the highest levels i've got the independence and i think ultimately while there may be some candidates out there with name recognition right now and some some core support bases it's unclear to me whether they'll be able to cross aisles and garner enough support to get to the majority. And if they cannot, I, I, you know, I believe that people will very quickly turn to me. I've already got a very strong base. I've gotten lots of folks, again, from different factions saying, we're going to vote for you. You are our candidate. We've been extremely impressed. And then I think, you know, even the folks who have said we are supporting this candidate for now have said, but we want you to know we're very impressed with you. And we look forward to Orlando and meeting you. So again, I've got a, a, a strong base right now. And I think to the folks who have, who are currently supporting others, I think I'm really high on their short list. And, and I think that broad appeal overall, sort of over, you know, to, to all corners of the constituency is, is what is going to be my path to victory here.
0: Several people are, I've talked to are expecting a multi-round election that, Nobody will get 50% in the first round. Is that what you're expecting?
1: I am. And uh, it is going to take – it is going to be at that point in negotiation. Uh, I don't think many people – although I think some people will profess to know what to expect. I don't think people really know what to expect. This is a a new experience for U.S. soccer. But you know, being in a situation where you need to gain a consensus from parties who have competing interests – and, and are not always aligned is what I do every day. I mean, I will, I will tell you a story. You know, a year ago, uh, I was doing a case for Samsung. And the case was in arbitration. It was a very large case, tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars at, at issue. And the party said, we can't settle this. I tried. You know, we would reached out and, and tested the waters and everybody said, no way. I said, well, if we can't settle this, come to my offices in New York. Let's sit down in a conference room and see what we can do. And I had the folks from Samsung all flew in from Korea. We had the owners of the other business come in from both Israel and Croatia, and we had this multinational uh, group with major. You talk about competing interests. I mean, these were a lot of money at interest, and at the same time, operating in the same space. So we needed to figure out a way to resolve this in a, in, a, in a in a in a in an amicable way. And I did. And that is the skill set that I think you need to do the job of of US soccer in large part and it's something that i you know certainly hope you know look forward to at the at the election to gain a consensus because <clears throat> i've said this to the other candidates as well US soccer does not need an election where at the end of the election somebody is elected and half of the people are angry and bitter for the next 4 years that's not what we need we need a situation where somebody can say you know what he was my first choice. She was my first choice. But, you know, the person who won was always also my you know, second choice. I'm happy with that as well. We need to be able to all get behind somebody. And I think that person will be me.
0: Now, I don't know the details on this, so I'm going to ask you. I, I saw that you played in <clears> Israel. What What's the story there? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, sure. So I played at Lafayette College yeah. uh, for four years. And my senior year, we played a game at Adelphi University. Um they had several Israelis on their team. <clears throat> and uh, a guy by the name of Roby Young, who had coached me in ODP, had come up to me after the game and said, hey, I, I thought you played great. Would you want to play in Israel? Um, he set me up with a team, went over there, and played with uh, that team, had gotten relegated. So I wound up going over to a different team, Farsaba. Kfarsaba. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally, somebody made a call and I showed up at their Doorstep, you know. A couple of days later, uh, trained with the team for it was about a week or so. The coach said, "Okay, you're good enough. Let's see. You know, come with us to Romania for preseason." Went with them to Romania for preseason. Came back and they signed a contract and played at Hapoel Walk It was a uh, absolutely, you know, one of the you know best experiences you know of my life. And and the ability to play pro and and. <clears throat> you and I were talking earlier and I had mentioned that I have the juniors and seniors from Lafayette soccer's team come over to my law firm every year. And we talk about sort of life after soccer and how you become certain, you know, how you go into certain careers and and there's a little bit of networking as well. And uh, we have about 30 or 40 alumni that come. And one of the things I talk about is if you have the chance to play after college and you love soccer, do it. It doesn't matter what level, because when you are in school, you're pulled in so many different directions. You've got soccer, you've got school, you've got a unique social experience going on. You've got, um, you know, clubs, lots of things going on. When you play professionally, you have the ability to really focus and make soccer your number one, two, and three priority in your life. So the number, the next most important thing in your life is number four on the list. That ability to see where you can go physically, mentally, technically is a tremendous experience. And it was, you know, absolutely one of the best experiences of my life.
0: Nice. Um, I want to give you a parting shot here. Uh, We've talked about a lot uh, in a fairly short amount of time. Um, Is there anything you would like to say to potential voters, fans out there uh, as kind of a a last word about your candidacy? Sure. You know,
1: U.S. soccer right now is at a crossroads. It, It really is. And we have the opportunity and we absolutely should be at the absolute top level on the world's platform competitively. And we also need to make sure that in in trying to achieve that, we don't ignore the other 99% of the U.S. soccer landscape. And so I, I, I would say, think about what this job entails. Think about who else has the, the soccer knowledge, right? When you're hiring, we do all the time. You know, companies come to us and say, "You know, can you help us find a CEO?" You know, the board comes to us, and you need to have an understanding of the product, especially in an organization like this. I've got that deep knowledge from all perspectives, youth all the way through to professional, playing, coaching, managing. Who is going to have that sort of trifecta of the soccer knowledge and the business experience? And by the way, it's not just being a CEO of a company; it's not just dictating, because as as the governance is set up and the bylaws of U.S. Soccer are set up, you need to build consensus. You need to lead by bringing people into a consensus-building process. Who has, you know, I, I've been doing that for 17 years, and so again, I would just say, when you look at this field and you look at where U.S. Soccer needs to go and the mending that needs to occur, you know, I've got. You know, all three. I've got that soccer experience. I've got that business and negotiation experience. And I've got the independence. And uh, and I would respectfully ask uh, for their vote.
0: Michael Winograd, thanks for joining the podcast.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it, Grant.
0: Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Michael Winograd as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it wherever you get your podcast, It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available for free now on SI.com. Recent guests include Luis Robles, Taylor Twelman, Julie Foudy, and Yuri Jorkaev. See you next time.